welcome to Four Guys in a Cup. Take a stand with your hosts, Red, Rusty, Tap, and Nova. The revolution is at hand, and the architect is special guest, Colin Bunn. Welcome, fans, to another issue of Four Guys in a Comic. Tonight, we've got a writer that has literally worked on multiple universes. Uh, from Gunslingers to Rusty's favorite symbiote, the yellow fearmonger Sinestro himself, and, of course, everyone's favorite Merc with a Mouth. I'm extremely excited to introduce Colin Bunn. Colin, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Welcome. Oh, it's we are so extremely excited. grateful to have you on. This is very uh, exciting for... I think Rusty especially because he's a he's a big fan of yours. Yeah, I, I oh, but I, the I other am, three, the other three I, of you. I know. I was just about to interject there. I was like, "Come on, please, hold on." Uh, no, no I'm a big I'm, fan of all the Deadpool work. I'm a big Deadpool fan. Yeah. Rusty's a big Venom see, fan. One of my top favorite characters besides Red Skull, of course, is Nick Fury, and so I geek out with Battle Scars. <laughs> oh, Battle Scars! Yeah, I love yeah. Battle Scars. You're going. You're going. That's a deep dive these days. <laughs> yeah. the world of how fast comics change. That's a deep dive, man. That is true. That is true. But uh, yeah, I mean, for the people, I'm. I guess anyone who's listening to this knows who you are. But and if uh, they don't, don't, they need to just kind of turn off the podcast yeah. and go read some comics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no kidding. Um, why don't you give us a little, or the listeners, a little rundown? Maybe tell us some interesting things and whatnot <laughs> about yourself, of course. I don't know how many interesting things there are. Uh, so yeah, I've been writing uh, writing comics. Uh, this is my ten year anniversary coming up of writing comics professionally. Uh, Congrats! And uh, I have worked on uh, I've worked on on stuff ranging. You know, as you said in the introduction, I've, I've worked for Marvel and DC. I've written you know Sinestro and uh, Green Lantern, The Lost Army, and Superman, Batman, and uh, Venom for Marvel and uh, and Fearless Defenders for Marvel and these days I'm writing Uncanny X Men and a lot of Deadpool uh, stories, including uh, the new uh, Deadpool and the Mercs for Money series. Uh, and then I also do a lot of creator own stuff. I do Harrow County for for Dark Horse, and uh, I do uh, I just wrapped up a book called The Six Gun uh, for Oni Press, which was a creator own book that we ran for 50 issues. Uh, so yeah, I work on a I work on a lot of different books. I like to keep busy. Yeah, no kidding. You also you also didn't mention your incredible Magneto run, which uh, I enjoyed immensely from issue one. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was a fun book. And, and, and that was a that was a fun book to do. And I kind of feel like uh, you know I mentioned Uncanny X Men because I kind of feel like Uncanny X Men right now is just a continuation of that of right. that series. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, that was a. It, again, it's it's funny because you know, as I said, comic it, comics seem to change uh, so rapidly. But yeah, it's it's uh, that was a twenty one issue run of Magneto that uh, that really just wrapped up, I guess, uh, a year or so ago. Most Marvel titles, I would say, or most titles lately, really don't go for that long. But you've had a lot of success within the last few years of ongoing series that went 30-plus runs, or even plus 10 is even rare nowadays, it seems. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, uh, I think you're right. I think the trend right now is is shorter runs on, on books, so... Uh, I've been I've been pretty lucky and and have been able to stick on a, a at least a couple of books that have gone you know uh, a lot longer than we than we probably expected. I'm the kind of guy I like writing long. I like sticking on a book for a long while, so it's never long enough for me. 
but uh, but yeah, it's uh, I, I've been pretty fortunate in that regards. Yeah, I was going to ask you in, in that regards. Have do you kind of like say, hey, I would like to do X amount of books when you uh, submit a story to somebody, or has you just uh, really been that lucky? When I when I'm asked to pitch a series, if, if I know it is an ongoing series, I always tend to overplan and plan out for you know. 30, 40, 50 mm-hmm. issues of a series. So I always overplan, and that's actually been a, a, a little bit of a, you know, a, a hindrance for me, I guess, because there's t- there are times where I've planned things out really far in advance, and I'm working towards some of those plans. And then just because of the way a, the market is and the way comics are, the series has to end, and I kind of have to wrap that all up a lot quicker than I would have wanted. Uh, is there any anyone in particular that you know you wish you could have uh, not had a wrap up sooner? You can of uh, Finish it all the way through the conclusion. All of them, you know, uh, all of them, uh, all, all the Marvel and DC stuff. You know, I had big, I had big plans uh, for Venom, for instance. I had a, a much longer arc for that series in mind. Same with Peerless Defenders. I had a bigger run in mind for that. Um, even Magneto, I had a bigger, you know, a bigger run in my in mind for that. You know, luckily I was able to to roll a lot of those plot points into Uncanny X Men. Um, and then, yeah, like Sinestro, that was a book that I had. I had at least three or four more arcs planned for that series when it when it wrapped up. You, uh, I got I have to commend you on your Sinestro run. It was probably some of the best Sinestro I've ever read. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, you know, Jeff Johns made an amazing character out of him, and I think you just elevated that. Uh, so I just, I'm glad I get the opportunity to to thank you for writing that. It was one of my favorite series. Well, thank you. That was a uh, of all my DC stuff. That was uh, uh, by far my favorite project. Uh, like I said, I would have loved to have uh, have stuck around with it for a while longer. I've got to say, for someone who's you, you said ten years now. It's your ten year anniversary writing comics. You've done a lot. I mean, yeah. we've there are some people who work ten years in comics and almost do nothing. And I've just got to say, I'm I'm surprised it's only ten years. <laughs> I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, you know, I guess it took me forever to break in. Uh, it, it was a very, uh, I, I just, I had no idea how to go about it. I didn't know anybody that could, uh, that could at the time, that could kind of point me in the right direction. And I was making a lot of mistakes in terms of how I was trying to break in. But yeah, now that I'm in, I guess, I guess I'm kind of, uh, I'm always expecting it to all go away. So that's why, so I'm trying to make up for lost time. Uh, uh, and then, uh. And, and kind of prepare myself for the day that uh, I won't be doing comics anymore. Well, I don't think that's going to happen anytime in the near future. Yeah. Because with your story writing, it's just unbelievable. But I'm just kind of curious, what is your break-in story? How did you get into yeah. it? I was going to ask, can we hear the origin of Yeah, Colin? what is the origin of Colin Bunn? Um, well, I was doing uh, like little short stories here and there for like British anthology magazines. and uh, This is stuff that didn't pay anything. Uh, but uh, but I still didn't have any clue how to really get into comics. But uh, I uh, I was working at a comic book store years and years and years ago uh, with an aspiring artist named Brian Hurt. And Brian and I became friends, and we knew we wanted to work on something together at some point. Uh, and eventually, you know, we put in some pitches with publishers that didn't go anywhere. But eventually, we did a pitch uh, for a book called The Damned. Uh, which was a, a Prohibition-era mob story uh, with demons. And uh, we put this pitch in with Oni Press, and they really liked the book and, and published it. So that was my first, uh, my first published work. And then I thought, 
that you know once that happens hey it's all gravy from here on out you know now that my now that i have a book out you know now the offers for work are just going to start rolling in um and that did not happen so i still had to struggle to try to find uh you know to try to break in in some other way with every other publisher um eventually uh brian and i did a book called started a book called the six gun the one we just wrapped up and that was the book that started getting uh some attention from other publishers and uh, uh, DC reached out to me and asked me to do some books because one of the editors there read that and liked it. Um, and then Marvel started reaching out and asking, uh, you know, if I'd be interested in trying my hand at some short Deadpool stories and things like that. So it was really the six gun. I mean, the six gun was sort of the, the, the key that kind of unlocked the door uh, for a lot of these publishers. I mean, actually, Six Gun, you got nominated for an Eisner for that, if I remember correctly, didn't you? Yes, I believe so. I believe the, <laughs> an, I believe the answer is yes. Uh, yeah, uh, you're, you're, you got nominated for an Eisner, and it's terrible. I can't tell you. I know it didn't win the Eisner. Um, it was nominated for a Harvey Award, but I can't remember if we won the Harvey or not. So uh, probably not. But, uh, but yeah, it, it got some attention, and that, that was really the, the book that kind of opened the door for me. Very cool. So speaking of Deadpool, okay, you've done a bunch of different Deadpool stuff. Is there a specific Deadpool story that you've written that you had a lot of fun doing, something that you just really enjoyed writing for? Well, I, I, I've enjoyed all, writing all of them, but uh... – Hands down, my favorite of the bunch is uh, Night of the Living Deadpool. Uh, I, I, I really – that's – of all of the Deadpool books I've done, that's my favorite. Followed, you know, probably by Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe, very yeah. closely by Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe. Uh, but, yeah, that's, that was my favorite of the bunch just because it, it was – I was able to lean into a lot of horror tropes, and, and that's, a, that, that's a genre I really like, and I was able to, to kind of reference – you know, tons of not just zombie movies. I mean, it was a it was a Deadpool. You know, it's a Deadpool story set in the zombie apocalypse. But I was able to reference a lot of movies that, uh, besides you know, zombie flicks that uh, I really enjoyed and kind of put in a lot of in jokes about uh, horror movies in general. Uh, so uh, so that was a lot of fun for me. Very cool. Now, are you pitching these, or is Marvel coming up to you with uh, ideas? So the way it usually worked, I mean, I do pitch some ideas uh, to Marvel, but the way it usually works is they come to me and they say, and the same, this is the same with DC. They could say, would you be interested in pitching for a Deadpool miniseries, and what would you do with the Deadpool miniseries? Or they could say, we want to do a book called Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe, and that's all we know about it. What would you do with that book? Um and uh, you more often than not with the Deadpool miniseries, that's the case. They come with me. They come to me with a title. They say, uh, in this case, that hey, they say, hey, would you be interested in doing a book called Night of the Living Deadpool? And then I come up with a story that would fit that title. Hmm. Awesome. Uh, one of our listeners um, messaged me, and they said that uh, they had a question for you. And their question is, who is your current favorite writer? And that was by a toe cutter. He wanted to know who your current favorite writer was. Um, that's a that's a tough question. Uh, probably, uh, you know, I'm. Uh, there's a there's a couple of writers that I that I are sort of my go to writers, I guess. The the ones I I, I 
tend to read and reread a lot. Jason Aaron is probably my mm, current yep. favorite writer. Uh, and uh, and Warren Ellis is another favorite of mine. But, uh, yeah, I, w- I would probably say of, of current writers, Jason Aaron is probably my favorite. Now, I, I wanted to mention one word uh, since it's going to be a pretty big deal starting in, I think, September. Uh, revolution. Ah, yes. Yes. So huge, like... This is just a dream come true for so many people. Uh, Transformers, G.I. Joe, Mask, Rom, Micronauts, <laughs> all coming together in this huge epic crossover that you're writing. Uh, so what's yes. that been like? Uh, it's been really, it's been really exciting. Uh, you know, like you said, that I, I've been preparing for this all my life, really, because you know when I was a kid, I played with all these toys, you know, all in the same, you know, I, you know, I'd throw all these different toys together and just, you know create all these wild stories and uh, and it feels a little bit like that you know I'm, I'm getting the chance to to tell a story uh with all those characters and all those you know all those ideas and different uh you know all these vehicles and, and toys that i played with when i was younger i hear you there uh, so it's you know it's super exciting it's a little you know it's a it's a very ambitious project you know when they when they brought me onto it i was like man this is a big great as if you guys are really you know, you're really reaching here with this one. It's it's a big, sp- sprawling project just to bring all those ideas together in a way that's seamless and makes sense. Uh, is pretty uh, is pretty big and and intimidating. But uh, I think it'll be I think it'll be a lot of fun. Now, do we know uh, the writers are going to be on board for for that? I mean, not the writers. I'm sorry, the uh, the artists and the uh, the inkers for that. Um, I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> uh, I'm just kind of curious: is, is is Larry Hama going to be involved? <laughs> I, Larry Larry Hama, I, you know, I, I don't want to say no for sure, but I don't think he's doing any of the, you know, that he's doing anything mm-hmm. uh, anything with it. The the artist of of the main series, I can tell you, uh, that's a that's a guy named Fico Osio, okay. and he, he's a I mean, he's He's amazing, only because he brings all these insane images together uh, in a way that that uh, doesn't skimp on any detail. I mean, these are incredible pages. Um, I don't know if you saw. There's this image that came out that was like the preview image that had all these, you know, characters kind of fighting, and uh, you know, it had snake eyes fighting a courier from Micronauts and <laughs> mask vehicles flying in, and it had all this intense in this intense uh, detail to it. And that's the way he draws the book. It's not, you know, it's it's that level of, of detail. Uh, so, I mean, that's pretty, uh, it's pretty exciting to see that. Um, you know, and then there are going to be a number of spinoff, you know, uh, spinoffs, not, they're not series, but one-shots. They're revolution one-shots. So there'll be, you know, Mask Revolution and G.I. Joe Revolution, I think. And uh, and, tra- and and a couple of Transformers Revolution issues, and uh, and then Micronauts Revolution for me, which are just these one issues that kind of connect to the main series and tell a little bit more, uh, give a little bit more detail on the main, on what's going on in the main series. Um, I honestly couldn't tell you who's drawing most of the spinoffs. I can tell you that the Micronauts spinoff is is drawn by a guy named Chris Panda, who's uh, who's really great. He's he's wrapped that up just recently. Um, so, uh, but but yeah, I, I'm not sure who else is drawing the other the other series. Very cool. That's going to yeah. be an exciting book. 
Uh, yeah, totally. IDW has I don't I don't know how they get all those licenses, but they do a lot of really cool spinoffs and one like you know Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Batman and like all that kind of crossover stuff is fantastic. You so. Man and Thundercats, yeah, those early yeah. Yeah. cartoons yeah. that you used to watch when you come, you know on Saturday mornings. <laughs> yeah. Makes me yeah, giddy. I think, I think those guys are just all a bunch of you know just like us. They're yeah. just all a bunch of you know. Uh, comic and and toy geeks and they just go after that stuff. So Colin, I have to ask you while, while I have you in regards to um, Battle Scars. <clears throat> I, I six issues of just wasn't enough for me. It was so well written. You you just blew it out of the water. Well, and and you know I got to be honest. I all credit for that goes to Chris Yost. I mean, um, the Battle Scars was a weird a weird series for me because it was really. So what happened was the sort of the origin of Battle Scars mm-hmm. was they came to uh, right after the fear the fear itself event. Marvel came to me and Chris Yost uh-huh. and asked if we would co-write a twelve issue series uh, with Matt Fraction and sort yes. of in a, a consulting or editorial almost an editorial role really. Okay, so I was wondering what his role in that was. Yeah. Okay. Um, so. If we would co-write a, a twelve-issue series that would uh, that would be a follow-up to Fear itself, mm-hmm. and that was going to be called uh, the Fearless. And Chris and I started coming up with ideas and throwing. You know, we had this really crazy story, and basically, it was going to the <laughs> the story was going to follow um, two different characters on diverging paths. One was going to be Nick Fury. And one was going to be crossbones, and I was going to write the crossbones sections of the story, and Chris was going to write the the Nick Fury sections of the story, mm-hmm. and eventually they would collide in some big way. Um, but as we started kind of brainstorming and pitching ideas back and forth, we realized that um, the story that we were trying to tell was even was too big even for twelve issues. So Marvel decided to break it into a 12-issue series, which was Fear Itself, The Fearless, and a six-issue series, which was Fear Itself, Battle Scars. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, while we are all credited as writing each of them, I wrote almost every word of Fear Itself, The Fearless, and Chris, Roast, Chris Yost wrote almost every word of Battle Scars. Uh, and then my role on Battle Scars is really we just help, you know, and same with Chris on Fearless – where we were just kind of bouncing ideas off each other, and and you know we saw all the scripts, but but really Battle Scars, the credit has to go to Chris on that one because uh, he he did the lion's share of that work for sure. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, because I I, I just really enjoyed that, and of course Fear itself was just amazing. It's like wow, you know, put all that together, it's just really great stories. Yeah, it was a, it was a fun project, uh, and it was great to work with all those guys. You know. Uh, to, to do this, you know, sort of this big sprawling story we were doing, it was almost an event in and of itself. After Fear itself, in my in my mind, it was like another event. Yeah, no, it really felt that way. And any plans in the future to revisit it at all? Uh, you know, I don't know. I think uh, I I think that ship has probably sailed. Uh, I think uh, there are plans for those characters, and there are things that that Marvel is doing with those characters. But I, I doubt we will really revisit them in any. I mean, they they'll show up in other books, but yes. I doubt we'll revisit them in in a way, you know, in in such a focused way. Gotcha. So, 
kind of changing uh, track a little bit, I wanted to talk about um, your run on Venom a little bit. You introduced Eddie Brock as Toxin in Venom, uh, and they've kind of ran with the idea of it now because in the Carnage miniseries, um, Eddie Brock is brought back as Toxin. How do you feel taking the mantle of such a famous character and just kind of put it getting pushed forward like that? Yeah, no, I'm I'm glad that they that they moved forward with that because I really uh, with the Venom series there were a couple of things I did that I was very uh, I was very proud of and I was really scared that they wouldn't do anything else with Toxin is one of them uh, and Eddie Brock is Toxin and and this may be blasphemous to Venom fan you know you know Venom fans all over I think Eddie's better as Toxin than he was as, as Venom and. Uh, <laughs> And I I like the potential that that uh, that gives the character, um, so I'm I'm glad to see they're doing something with him. And uh, the other one was Mania, which was this character I introduced sort of at, towards the end of the Venom run, right? That I had a lot of big plans for, and she has she's you know vanished after the end of my series, but now she has just now reappeared in Venom Space Night. Uh, I yeah. think the last issue of Venom Space Night, she shows up on the last page, and uh, you know I know they have a they have a big story planned for her in that, and uh, and then I'm doing everything in my power to get my hands back on the character after that because uh, I still uh, you know that's a character I I really want to do some stuff with, and uh, I have I have a I have irons in the fire in terms of mania things I want to do with it actually. Irons in the fire with almost every character I've introduced that has kind of vanished since then. I still there are things I want to do with them. So uh, does that include the tooth? Well, the tooth, yes, of course. <laughs> the tooth is uh, if I can get Matt Kent to draw it, we'll do another tooth. <laughs> cool. Oh, I, I myself would be ecstatic to see you on a Eddie Brock Toxin series. I would. Woo, that 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 would be the bee's knees. I'll just say that right now. I think it could that could be really awesome. I mean, there's never been any discussion of that, but that would be kind of amazing. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, I think he'd be a great character um, to do something with. Awesome. So have you always had, like, a kind of... Uh, did you grow up reading different symbiote series? I mean, uh, you, you're doing... You've done a lot of X-Men now. You've done a lot of Venom. I mean, were these series that you grew up reading? I was a kid when the, the black suit first appeared. Um... And then, uh, you know, I was, I, I think I, I can't remember how long after the black suit first appeared that Venom showed up, but, uh, but I, I know I was kind of, I was kind of out of comics for a little bit when Venom sh- showed up for the first time, uh, but I was reading the issues because my younger brother was, was reading the Venom issues and stuff. Uh, so I was able to, I was able to glean some of that from him, but I, I, I can't say that I was ever a really big uh, Venom guy uh, until you know I didn't care for Lethal Protector and all that. that those weren't those comics weren't written for me, really. Um, until until Remender took over and, and kind of reintroduced uh, Flash Thompson as Venom, I was kind of out of it for a while. And then then I kind of really enjoyed what what Rick was doing with with Flash. Um, again, to speak blasphemously to Venom, you know, symbiote lovers everywhere. Uh, I think Flash is a better Venom than uh, than Eddie was. Uh, so uh, so I like uh, you know I like Flash Thompson Venom, uh, and uh, and yeah I think I think really my my real 
interest in Eddie Brock came as I was writing him uh, in the Venom series. Very cool. Very cool. So. Uh, speaking of interesting characters, all you've done almost a dozen Deadpool minis. Is there any chance of you ever have you ever considered ongoing, doing like well, a nice lengthy run? Well, um, so I just wrapped up a series called Deadpool and the Mercs for Money with issue. It was a five issue limited series. Uh, this month we're going to relaunch Deadpool and the Mercs for Money as an ongoing series. Awesome. So, uh, so I will be writing. Uh, you know, I will be writing Deadpool uh, as an ongoing series. In, as far it won't be the main Deadpool series it'll be the Deadpool and the Mercs for, Mercs for Money series though for a while I pitched uh, doing like a Deadpool ongoing series uh, you know to go along with the main series and, and at the time we really wanted to focus solely on these additional mini series but uh, Mercs for Money uh, had enough juice behind it I guess that they wanted to to try it as an ongoing um and uh, and hopefully people will like like what I'm doing with it. Uh, and then I'm still doing Deadpool, some other Deadpool miniseries in the future as well. Oh, are there some uh, some in the works right now? Works that have have yet to be announced. But yeah, there's uh, there's, uh, there's at least one more in the works. Spoiler, spoiler! <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, <laughs> this is a spoiler welcomed environment. Yes. Uh. Yeah, I guess. I will. I will tell you nothing more than there's <laughs> there are chimichangas in our future, <laughs> right? Yeah, I gotta say, you and Joe Kelly are probably my two favorite Deadpool writers that have ever written that character. So, uh, wait, 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 there's more. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm very, I'm very excited. So, um, kind of going back a little bit to uh, some of your other older works. Uh, one of our other listeners, Jake, he wanted to know what your inspiration was for The Empty Man. And then also if you ever had plans to go back and revisit the series. Um, so, I'm not exactly sure where The Empty Man came from. I can tell you that, I can tell you when the idea for it came to me uh, because I, rem- I remember very clearly uh, we were driving to a comic book convention in Chicago and uh, and I remember I was looking out across this field and there was this barbed wire fence and there was all this plastic sheeting that had somehow uh, gotten tangled in the barbed wire and was kind of blowing in the wind and for whatever reason that inspired this sort of, I wrote, I had my notebook in hand and I wrote down this words, you know, the, these words the empty man made me do it and that was the first thing I wrote for The Empty Man. Uh, that was the moment I wrote it, and it, the story just kind of spun out from there. I don't know uh, if there was any particular inspiration other than I just wanted to, to kind of look at the uh, – to look at sort of, you know, what spawns religion and what spawns people to, you know, kind of follow – you know, follow these these figures with a sort of fanatical devotion, and then I, I started kind of tying that to this idea of disease and, and insanity, and and it just turned into this really surreal horror story. And that's about all I can tell you as far as the the you know the real inspiration for it. Um, and yes, uh, I am going to be returning to it. I'm I'm working uh-huh. on a I'm, I'm working on a a, a follow up. Uh, a story for a follow-up series right now um so yeah uh i will i will definitely be uh 
definitely be returning to it. They uh, they just this week announced that uh, Fox has uh, has chosen an actor to play uh, the lead in the Empty Man movie, and they're supposed to start filming in the fall. Uh, so I would anticipate you're going to see you know a new series sooner, you know, relatively soon. Well, congratulations on that. I had read that back in uh, I think it was February of this year. Fox kind of yeah. opted for it, so that's awesome. That, congratulations, it's huge. Yeah, it should be. It's it's pretty exciting, and you know the actor that that they've cast is is actually one of my favorite actors. This guy named James James Badgedale, uh, who I think is a great actor. So uh, I think it it could be you know could be really interesting, and uh, we'll see what see what they do with it. And and then yeah, uh, but but definitely uh, I'm working on a a new series right now. Uh, we the Empty Man ended on kind of a, a cliffhangery, you know, uh, ambiguous note. So uh, I, I'll be excited to explore explore that and make it even more ambiguous as we go along. <laughs> Very cool. I'm sorry, you said uh, James Badge Dale? Yes. He was in Iron Man 3. Yeah, he was Iron Man 3. He was in 24. He was in World War Z. You know, he's, uh, he's, he's done a lot, of great, uh, a lot of really cool things. Yeah, great choice. Very cool. Now, you mentioned uh, earlier in the show wrapping up the sixth gun, which, um, I mean... I, I hope to read the series soon. I'm waiting for all of the deluxe editions to be available because that's how I collect my books usually is sure. the biggest hardcover format I can get. Um, and, I mean, it's a big deal when, when a publisher that usually doesn't publish those has these huge hardcovers available. What was it like wrapping up, you know, six years of your life? Uh, it was, uh, you know, it was a little bittersweet. Uh, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sad to say farewell to some of those characters. But uh, at the same time, it was pretty rewarding to be able to take a story and tell the story we wanted to tell and, and do what we wanted to do with it, you know, from beginning to end. And I feel like there's value in stories that have, you know, a, deter- you know, a predetermined ending and, and, and work towards that ending. And, uh, and that's one of the things, uh, you know, we were able to do with the series. So as, as much as I love those characters uh, – and in theory, could write you know six gun stories till the end of time with those characters. Uh, I I felt like it was time to say uh, to say goodbye and wrap it up, and it, and I, and I felt good about the way uh, about the way we brought the series to an end. So there's no chance of um, like you're completely done, no more limited series, nothing like that. Um, I won't say that we're a hundred percent, but but I will say that the story of those characters and the story of the six guns. Is over, and and I, I don't think we'll be revisiting those uh, those characters really. Moving on to your your current stuff with uh, Uncanny X Men, um, mm-hmm. you're writing right now for Apocalypse War, or I guess what is being released right now anyway is for Apocalypse War. How do you feel uh, that Marvel is handling X Men right now, and how the story through Apocalypse War is hurting or helping the X Men as characters right now? Um, you know, I think the, you know, they're, as far as how Marvel's going, I think they're doing, they're doing great. I mean, it's, a, uh, it's, it, you know, it, it, I hear a lot of, uh, strange, uh, conspiracies about Marvel and the X-Men and, and things like that. And they're, they're a little, uh, they're a little, uh, fun to listen to, I guess, but right. at the end of the day, they're kind of ridiculous. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I feel like, uh. You know we're, you know we're we're given the the chance to tell the story we want to tell, and 
you know, Apocalypse Wars is an interesting. Well, it helps only because it does help sales on a book, and any book that you know, any book that says they don't need a little bump in sales in the second or third arc is that's poppycock. Every every book can use a little bump in sales. Um, the interesting thing about Apocalypse Wars is it's not really a, an event where it's a crossover where all the books tie into uh, tie into each other, and you need some sort of map to figure out how to with the, the reading order of the issues or anything like that. Uh, it just so happened that Dennis, Hopeless, Jeff Lemire, and I all had stories that kind of had something to do with Apocalypse in them, uh, and we all wanted to tell them around the same time. So uh, that's really where uh, you know where Apocalypse Wars came from as a as a sort of a, a pseudo event. Um, is that we would have done those stories with or without the Apocalypse Wars banner? I think uh, at some point. Uh, but but doing them this way kind of just puts a little bit more of a spotlight on the books and and introduces you know it could introduce new readers to to look at them if they're just looking at it from a you know from a perspective of if they're event followers I guess or they're looking for something big or it doesn't hurt that there's a you know that that we we decided to do a release around the time of the of the the apocalypse movie uh, that that was coming out and. Uh, we we just had uh, these 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 interesting stories we wanted to tell and and we just went for it. Right, right. Okay. So when Marvel first put you on this current run that you're doing with X Men, oh, were you ec- ecstatic? Were you excited to uh, have the opportunity to work with these characters? Yeah. No, I was I was really excited. Um, Uncanny X Men was that was my you know. As far as superhero comics go, that was my that was my jam was Uncanny X Men. I, yeah. I love those characters. Um, I followed them for years and years and years and years. So uh, it was uh, it was super exciting and humbling and uh, and thrilling to be to be working on that title in particular. Probably six six or eight months before I was offered the job, someone asked me on a, a message board or something if I would ever consider writing Uncanny X-Men. And I said, well, I would love to, but I don't think that will ever happen because I just couldn't, I just couldn't imagine that, you know, that particular dream coming true. Uh, and then, you know, then a few months later, there it is. It's a nice thing to put down on uh, the list of uh, things. It's like the checkoff list, the bucket list of comics, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, like I said, Uncanny is a, a very important title to me. So, uh so uh, you know, it's it's something that I take pretty seriously. Very cool. So, is there something else that you've always had your eye on that you just would love to get a crack at trying to write for? Um, yeah, there's a there's a few uh, with Marvel in particular. There's a uh, a lot of their horror based heroes. I would love to do something with um, Ghost Rider in particular. I'd love to do something big with. And uh, that would be uh, that would be something that I, that I'd be pretty excited to work on. Uh, Man thing, really any of the any of the horror characters, uh, I would be uh, I'd be thrilled to write. I have this. Uh, there in the '90s, there was this book called Night Stalkers that mm-hmm. uh, had Blade and Hannibal King, and I can't remember if Morbi- Morbius, the Living Vampire, was in it. But it was a you know van- sort of a vampire hunter series. But I have this idea for a, a new Night Stalker series that would just be horror focused, 
and and would really uh, kind of do something different with the the Marvel horror heroes. So, who would you say is your favorite uh, Marvel character? It's really tough. It's gonna be you know Nightcrawler is probably my favorite Marvel character for, and I can't even tell you why, but. Uh, I've always been drawn to Nightcrawler as a character, uh, uh, and Rachel Gray, also from the X-Men, uh, is another big favorite of mine. Very cool. Uh, one of our other listeners of the show, Scar, he actually wants to know if you can give us any of your uh, plans for Phantom X and what Archangel situation is, if you could potentially dive in. Well, on my... My first question is, don't any of your listeners have real names? Because this is a star. <laughs> they're just like you guys. And then these, these names, come on. We live in uh, a fantasy world. All right. Well, that, all right. I can't fault you for that. Um, so, plans for Phantom X. He's just going to continue to get beaten up by other characters, I guess. Uh, I, it, I, it's tough. I can't – I don't want to really reveal um, – too much. Uh, I do have plans for Phantom Max. There's sort of a bigger story in mind for him. Uh, that that uh, you know when we you know before he appeared in my run on Uncanny X Men, he had kind of been you know divided into three different characters, and he had lost uh, Eva, his ship, and that seems to have all been undone. And uh, I do want to there. There's a story there that I want to tell to show how that's happened and what that means for him. Uh. And and that ties into some bigger plans I have have for Phantom X. Um, and then as far as Archangel goes, uh, the next issue of Uncanny X Men will will answer all the. I mean, it will it will resolve. The, you know, the the mystery of Archangel is he seems to be this mindless drone. And if you're reading Apocalypse Wars, Warren Warren Worthington seems to be uh, this tent revival preacher, and he no longer has wings. Mm-hmm. And uh, I will resolve those the story of I will resolve the story as it stands with those two characters and introduce uh, sort of a new story and maybe a new mystery with with Archangel going forward. But at at the next issue of Uncanny X Men, we'll wrap up Apocalypse Wars, and and then yes, uh, that will uh, that will definitely. Uh, have some big revelations about Archangel and uh, and some big changes for the character. Very cool. Thank you very much for answering those. So, Colin, I want to ask you, um, any uh, maybe some spoilers on Conan the Slayer? You guys in the spoilers. You just want... <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, Conan the Slayer, I, I'm on the series for 25 issues, so I've signed okay. on to write 25 issues of the book. Awesome. Um, so I'm, I'm real, uh, I'm real excited about it because Conan is a character that, uh, I'm, you know, I've, I've loved for a long time. So over the course of the 25 issues, uh, two of Robert E. Howard's stories have to be adapted in, uh, in, in my book. Uh, but that won't be the entire series that, that, that's going to take up two arcs of my series. Everything that Dark Horse has been doing since the Kurt Busiek issues of Conan the Barbarian have been following a very specific chronology of Conan the Barbarian stories. So uh, I have I have my marching orders of I have to adapt uh, the two stories that I have to that I will be adapting uh, are called The Devil in Iron and The People of the Black Circle. But 
my story doesn't start with the Devil in Iron. I, I'm telling a six-issue story that is all its own. You know, it, it is a new story, and then I'll tell the Devil in Iron. I'll adapt the People of the Black Circle, and then I'll tell some new stories. The interesting thing about the Robert E. Howard stories is there were characters who would show up, and, but with us doing the comics the way we're doing them, I'm able to take some of those characters and kind of dive deeper into those characters and, and what that means, who they are to Conan, and uh, and what they uh, you know what they will you know the role they play in his life. For instance, at the end of the the story, The Devil in Iron, there's this character introduced, uh, this woman Octavia. Uh, she's never again seen in a Robert E. Howard story, um, but I have the opportunity to show what happened to her after The Devil in Irons, and, and how does her story unfold, and how does that impact Conan's life. Beyond that, I can say, you know, it's a it's a pretty classic take on Conan. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a little it's a little closer to you know probably, uh, you know, the sword and sorcery barbarian than it was say with the Brian Wood run. It's it's less less of the Brian of what Brian Wood was doing with with the character, and, and it's more uh, you know brutal barbarian you know storylines. Um, uh, so I think. I don't know if there's any spoilers, but that's that's kind of where we're going with it. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. I don't know. I looked at the cover at that. And the cover art is just sick. It is just amazing the job that was done on that. Oh yeah, it's a, it's an awesome image. Uh, it is the sword of the blood and everything, the muscle. It was just really well drawn. Yeah, and I think uh, and that that image I think speaks to sort of the tone of the series uh, pretty well too. Very cool. Very cool. So. I think that our uh, birthday boy, Tap, here has our final question for you for the night. And it's something that we always ask usually everyone that we interview. Go ahead, Oh, yeah, Tap. these questions are always the best. Oh, no, oh. this... <laughs> uh, basically for that, it's just basically what's in your short box? What are you currently reading right now? Uh, I just read uh, Weird Detective um, by Fred Van Lente, which is... Uh, which is a, which is a great book. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Jeff Lemire's Black Hammer, I think, is really good. It's sort of a superhero. It's Jeff Lemire just doing his kind of superhero story, which I think is a lot of fun. Uh, those are probably the three. I read a lot of stuff in trades. Of of reading and floppies, those are uh, those are the the things I've been I've been reading. I did just read all the Star Wars books that I had missed out. Like I hadn't. I was I was uh, behind on like the Darth Vader series, so I just did a big. You know, marathon. That's cool. Yeah, only three more issues left on that one. Ugh. Yeah, they're wrapping that one up, and it was—it's been great. It has, it really has. All right, Colin, cool. we really appreciate your time today, but unfortunately, we're going to have to wrap it up. All right, guys. Oh, well, first of all, before you do, happy birthday, Tap. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, thank He's you. Waiting. Uh, I'm sure he's. <laughs> he may not sound ecstatic, but he is super no, it's, duper. It's, like it's, it's he's big. Cool. If you I'm could see his video it. right now, he is cheesing right now. I'm just trying <laughs> to, he is smiling from ear to ear. I'm just trying cool. to keep it calm. But uh, no, thank you very much. That is awesome. I'm getting old, but you know, it's awesome. That's what happens. We all are. That's yep. the one constant. <laughs> yes, We're all getting old. It just makes your comics more vintage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
Welcome, everyone. It is that special time of the podcast where we bring you nothing more than the reviews, where we each pull a comic out of our short boxes and tell you why you must read it or why you must not read it. Today, we're going to bring off Rusty with a special issue just for you. Rusty, take it away, man. Okay, so recently in a mail call, I got a certain Volume 2 Silver Surfer issue. The only one in Volume 2, number one. And it's by Stan Lee and Byrne, okay? So it's really cool. I mean, obviously, with that kind of team, it's like a standout comic. And the fact that it's Silver Surfer, that's already Stan Lee's favorite character, right? I mean, it's gotta be. But... It was a 50-page story, and it was a one-shot. It's, there's only one issue in the entire Volume 2 series, and it was kind of just a story to tell a story. Let's put it that way. It didn't change a thing. Okay? Well, maybe one thing. But we'll get to that. So we have Norrin. He's done, you know, explored the world. He's, he's saved the Earth. Plenty of times. He's made his friends with Fantastic Four and a few other people as well. He stopped enemies such as the likes of Doom. He even pushed away Galactus. But something that he always wishes he still could do, but Galactus confined him to, was leave Earth to go explore the cosmos again and find his Shala Ball. Okay? And so he... Decides one day he's tired of it and he shoots himself straight up into the sky and hits the barrier and he figures out he can't get past it. But at just so coincidentally, he finds out that Reed Richards has been working on a ray gun that it will bring down the barrier if he and the ray gun hit it at the exact same time. Now, does this already sound like a uh, a, a kind of a one shot like? Hey, this doesn't really, this isn't probably going to do anything. Like, come on right now. Yeah, already. But it was pretty good. Like, you have to get through the first half of it. You kind of, it kind of takes some building up before something happens like that because it's just exploring a bunch of different things. But when he finally gets past it, he goes out and it works. And they're like, bye, Silver Surfer. And you think it's his like farewells and whatnot. Goes home just to find out that uh, Zen Law is gone. Like, Galactus came back, destroyed it, it's gone. He got out of there for no dang reason. But while he's on the planet crying, basically, um, he sees a like a patrol car come by from his people. And like it's like an old and what happened is once he decided to stay on Earth and confine himself to protect Earth, Galactus said, Well, he betrayed me. The deal was that I wasn't gonna destroy his planet if he, as long as he served me, he doesn't serve me anymore, so I'm coming back and I'm killing y'all. And so he's looked at as an enemy amongst his people now. He's a betrayer, a traitor, okay? And so, to prove that he was, I guess, not a traitor, or that he, he, I mean, he can't find Ball, and so he's like, all right, I will bring her back. And he goes on a quest to try and figure out where she is, And he coincidentally stumbles upon Mephisto, of all people, who has captured her. And basically, Mephisto, being Mephisto, tries to fight Silver Surfer. Just to fight Silver Surfer. There isn't really a reason to it. And he wants to destroy him. Uh, He ends up tricking Silver Surfer 
after the fight when he sees he's about to lose to Surfer and the Power Cosmic, and he sends Ball back to Earth, okay? So he has to go back into the barrier of Earth, okay? And whenever he goes back into the barrier, he cannot leave Earth again. So he's like, all right, it's worth it, you know, just to be with my love. Goes into the barrier, finds out it's a trick and that she's not even there, and then he's stuck on Earth for forever. And that's basically the end. And it's like, wow, for all this 50 pages, nothing happened. Well, thank you for all the spoilers. Now we don't have to read it. (laughs) It's a classic, though. The the cover is amazing. Everyone's seen the cover with the surfer just standing there with his board and everything. And, I mean, it's a good story for what it is. But after reading it, I really understand why they had to reboot things in Silver Surfer Volume 3. And they figured out a way for him to get past the barrier and make it to where he can always get past the barrier if he wants. Yeah. Yeah. So, let's start with Tap. You are next, my man. All right. I'm going to keep this short, sweet, and simple. Uh, The book that I'm reading is 30 years old. It is none other than DC's The Spectre. Now, prior to reading this book, I did not know a whole lot about the character of the Spectre, <clears throat> other than what I've seen in, like, Justice League Dark, and, you know, he pops up in some stories here and there. It's kind of like a side plot, but you don't really know a whole lot about the character. I've never read anything, you know, solo series, anything like that. Well, this series is by uh, Tom uh, Mandrick, does the art, and John... Ostrander, I had to think for a second, does the writing on it. And it is absolutely phenomenal. Number one, the art in it is trippy beyond belief, but it's also extremely beautiful, all rolled into one. It is one of the best-drawn books I've ever seen in my life. I am a huge fan of the uh, Tom uh, Mandrake's work on this, and I'm very sad that it took me 30 years to discover this title. Um, also, the writing... Uh, is absolutely bar none. It is such a beautiful written book. Uh, you know, a lot of people say, oh, he's the vengeance of God, and I don't want to have to listen to religion and stuff like that. Yes, that's true. He is the, the vengeance of God, so to speak. However, the, from a religious standpoint, it's not preachy or anything like that, so if you think that's what it is, get it out of your head, because it's not. It's very much its own take on a man struggling to find what being the specter actually is and it's like his journey along the way and it is such a fantastic run um i'm a huge 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 fan of it hopefully we can try to get those two guys on the show at some point uh that would make my year but yeah it's uh absolutely beautiful extremely well written it's only 62 issues i want to say in all started back i believe it was in 92 um and ran from there ran for five years a critically acclaimed title. If you have not read it, don't be like me and wait any longer. Go grab it. You can get it in trade paperbacks. You can get it on Comixology. Uh, I got lucky. Thank you again, Jabo. I got all 62 issues in excellent condition uh, for a very, 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 very good price. Um, so, yeah, go check it out. The Spectre, it's absolutely amazing. If you're a fan of the Supernatural... Uh, type stuff, you know, such as Constantine, Dead Man, uh, Justice League Dark, those types of things, you're absolutely going to love this title. So, that's what I got. Nova, you look like you're rip-rare and ready to go. What do you got? Well, I was just going to mention, if you like those two guys, uh, they also had a pretty good run on Martian Manhunter. 
Yes, that's uh, true. So it's also worth checking out. Um, I'm going to talk about an image comic that's pretty metal, if you ask me. Um, if you like heavy metal and beer, you're going to like this comic. Um, like it already. And, and <laughs> uh, yeah, um, so I'm going to talk about... Well, before I get into the comic, uh, I mentioned beer. Um, have you guys ever heard of this uh, brewery called Three Floyds? I have not, but I'll drink it. Uh, it's really I'll good. Drink it. <laughs> they they seriously are their beer is some of the best beer you'll ever drink. Um, are they Canadian? No, they're American. Um, oh. Actually, when I was in Indiana, I had two of their beers, and it was just it was all I wanted to drink. So now we're going to go back to Indy. You're going to start drinking. I'm, it. I'm just hunting for it. It's actually hard to find. <laughs> it's actually really hard to find because they're not. They they're they're a smaller brewery, but you said it's really three, good. Um, three like the number three, and then Floyd's. Yes. All yeah. right. I'm going to check them out. Um. So. The comic is based on the beer. Actually, Nick Floyd, one of the co-founders of the company, is co-writing it with uh, Brian Azzarello. And Simon Bisley is doing the artwork. And if you don't know who Simon Bisley is, he's done a bunch of, like, Lobo. Um, He's got a really creative style. um, And it really suits the tone of the book. So without going into the super uh, heavy spoilers like Rusty always does, um, there's two issues out so far. And the gist of the story is... It's called Alpha King. Alpha King is actually one of their one of their beers, um, which is really good. That's actually the one I had. It was delicious. Um, so Alpha King and right. So what happens, the plot of the story is these creatures from another dimension, these like ogres and orcs, uh, they come to the Three Floyds Brewery to steal the beer because it's such a good beer that they had to come from another dimension to take it. Uh, and in the process, they wind up kidnapping this guy's girlfriend, one of the brewers, um, and he ends up following them into their dimension. And when he gets there, he turns into this guy that they're all calling the Alpha King. So he's sort of this like prophesized um, king that's supposed to save them from all the worst, bre- the the lesser breweries in their world, and he's supposed to rain delicious beer upon them. So it's a really it's a really like there's a lot of good jokes they're they're pretty crass jokes as well i mean we're talking beer orcs and like heavy metal and stuff um like in issue two there's one part where there's like a dog a bulldog that had machine guns coming out of his chest he's standing up on two legs he's got like cybernetic arms and stuff and there's like a cat smoking a what looked like it could, it could have been a cigarette or a joint but uh, just riding on his shoulder with like a leather jacket on and a machine gun in his hands it's just really crazy stuff like that. And there's a lot of jokes as well, as well where they, they go into like a bar and they start drinking the beer and the, the Alpha King guy's like, don't drink this, it's poison, it's horrible. And it, there's a huge bar fight because they're insulting the beer there. Um, so if you like beer violence and everything that is America, I think you'll like... <laughs> I'm kidding. I think you'll like this book though. Um, it's a good creative team. Simon Bisley's awesome. I think it's only going to run for six issues in total. So it's a limited series, but that's what I've been reading this past week and uh, really enjoyed it. Well, they have a fantastic website. The art on their website is incredible. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, they don't have any any stores around me that, that sell it. It's brewed in Munster, Indiana. Oh, okay, that's yeah. That's why that's why I got it in Indiana. I was yeah, lucky to they find. don't. They have it like in Ohio, Illinois, Wisconsin, like right around that area, but they don't have it near me, unfortunately. Shoot. I, however, you can buy it from their website and have them ship it to you. 
Oh, nice. I don't know what all flavors Maybe that can be shipped, but... You got to go to some bars then and just... If, if a bar ever has one or a restaurant, just say, yeah, just give me that, because it's, it's really good. All right, I'm going to take your word for it. Oh, yeah. So, uh, Red, what have you got for us? I'm guessing it's a Marvel comic Squirrel Girl today. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Oh, Anna please. Kendrick is Squirrel Girl. No, as you know me, make my image. So listen up, you jive turkeys. I have got an. I, I've got. I'm telling you, the dynamite out of sight issue that you're all gonna love. Uh-oh. It is B Claymore's 1976 or short 76. All right, I love this is the series eight issue series. No, but you're not in your head. Did you read this? No, I've heard of it though. Oh my god, it is just amazing. It is just, I don't even know where to begin. You get The art is by Ed Tandem. Art is so good that I had to look him up because I want to read more of his stuff that he's done. The You look at this stuff and it's like, holy crap, this is the 70s. This is the way things looked, the way it felt, the whole issues in black and white. And it's a simple story about uh, basically a detective, uh, uh, John Carmichael who has a past that not even his girlfriend knows about. And all of a sudden, uh, this this guy comes into town, starts creating problems, and he dons on his old leather jacket, brings a couple of buddies out of the woodworks, and find, we find out that he is none other than a kung fu master known by Jackie Karma. <laughs> and... And this is, I'm telling you, this is so retro, so well done, so well to put together. You read this issue, all of a sudden it takes you back to Starsky and Hutch, uh, Streets of San Francisco, and all those other great shows that came out in the 70s. It was just really well written, really well drawn, put together. And one of the things that I love about this is something similar to that we see Matt Hawkins does. Within the front and the back of the all the comics, he puts together some fun facts about 1976. He'll tell you a list of, uh, you know, all the big things that came out, such as Evil Knievel retires or gas was 59 cents a gallon, to all the way down to where were some of the top Billboard hits in uh, that you were listening to on the radio. You know, Rocky was number one in the box office. Really great story. Really lots of fun things going on in there. You need to, you know, check this out. And you're really going to enjoy it. I can't speak highly enough about it. I don't want to give out too many spoilers because there's some really cool things that happen in this that you just got to read to find out. So check it out. Don't be a jive turkey. Pick it up. And right on, man. Keep on trucking. Just so everyone think, knows, uh, this, this yeah. book brought Red back to his 20s. Yeah, it's all he's <laughs> I guess it did bring me back. You know, when they start talking about, you know, Chico and the Man and Archie Bunker and I mean things that I completely forgot about in my youth, you know, just I'm trying to remember some of the stuff off the top of my head that they had thrown out into some of the back of the stuff, but no, really. Even if you're not born in that time period, I'm sorry, you're still going to enjoy it anyways because there's so many cool things in there. And you can maybe even learn a little bit about your history. Very cool. So that's what I got. Check it out. The issue is called 76 by B. Claymore and Ed Tandem. Eight issue run.
right, everyone, you've heard the music, so you know it's time for another Mad Libs. And for those of you who are new to this segment, shame on you, but you're going to hear something fun right now. I've sent all the questions, and I've gotten my responses for the perfect Mad Libs on the continuation, part four of our ongoing superhero story. Now, guys, are you ready for this? I am ready. ready. All right, so... Once again, we return for another Mad Libs. The story is filled with action and adventure as Tap and Red fill in the blanks. We left off last episode with our two heroes, Blue-Footed Booby Woman and Connor McLeod Swordsman, tied up and held hostage. The scene changes as we see Stink-Eye Steve and Steel returning to the Great Lake Avengers headquarters. Whoa, Steel! It looks like Hulk hit this place! Wasn't blue-footed booby woman and swordsman here analyzing some data from earlier today? I didn't get a read from the Avengers walkie-talkie. It appears as though someone was looking for something. Or someone. Stink Eye, I think you are right. My flatulence power could possibly help us track down the location of our missing comrades. If this fails, though, we may be in for a rude awakening with Mistress Pussy Willow. We are already on her bad list from the time when the zombie apocalypse happened. You aren't kidding. I don't want to see the wrath of her human lie detector. Scary stuff, mate. But hey, let's take off. Steel bursts through the roof into flight, and Steve runs to his 1968 Chevelle Supersport. The two keep in contact through the headpiece they wear in their ear. We see the two journey across the Las Vegas Valley. Suddenly, over a hill, Steel sees a cloud of smoke building over a nearby building. I'm going to fly ahead, Steve. I see smoke within the distance. Be sure to maintain contact with me at all times. I don't want to walk into a trap. Go on ahead. There is a snowblower blocking the road. This doesn't look very safe wherever we are, mate. I'll catch up. Steel flies into the hilltop fortress and finds our two heroes laid out on the tables. There's burritos everywhere, (laughs) and a confused Steel suddenly hears a noise. We see our mystery man hero that tried to save our heroes last episode crawling on the floor in a dirty mess. Please help me. They are too strong. I have been seeing such power. It was like it came from Grandpa's basement. The mustaches. <coughs> the mystery man passes, and he makes a swoosh as he dies. What is lurking in the shadows for Steel? What could have caused all this destruction? Will blue-footed booby woman and Connor McLeod swordsman ever be released? Find out next time on Mad Libs. <laughs> and there's flying burritos everywhere. There's burritos everywhere. <laughs> And a confused steel suddenly hears a noise. And the power came from Grandpa's basement. And then, but you're right, some of that, the stink eyes, Steve's flagellant power. <laughs> and, and Mistress Pussy Willow. Willow was the human lie detector. <laughs> that was the best. That one was the best. That was good. That was really good. I told you, it all just it lined up too well. It did. The stuff just flowed perfectly tonight. Yeah, I was really surprised at this. There wasn't too much um there wasn't too much comedy really, but there was a lot of suspense and we're building up now for our climax. Uh-oh. Ooh. Uh-oh. 
What's going to happen next, guys? We'll have to wait and find out next month. Yep, on the next issue of Mad Libs. Same four guys time, same four guys channel. (laughs) (laughs) All right, gentlemen. Well, I thought I'd do something a little bit different this week. Typically, we'd be doing uh, some prank calls, but you know what? What's one of the big things that are going that's going around worldwide these days? Pokemon. Pokemon Go. Yes, that is right. And I know all of us have been playing it. How are you guys doing with it? You guys been getting out there getting some Pokemon? Uh, I'm doing all right. I mean, I just play with my kids. I'm yeah. Not, like with all those diehards. I, I work with some diehards. It's pretty insane. I work yeah. with some diehards too. I have a guy that's like level 20 at my job, and it's kind of ridiculous. But I just play in between times when I can. I I did catch a Dragonair today, which was pretty cool. Ooh, that is cool. Yeah, I caught. Uh, let's see. Today was a was a Taurus. Oh, and, cool. Yeah, and uh, I have, it's like the next level above the Pidgeotty. I forget what it's called. Uh, Pidgeotto. Pidgeotto. Well, I caught so many of those pigeon things that I had enough pigeon candy where I ended up evolving him to the, the, the final stage. And I think I'm like uh, four candy short and have completely maxed now. <laughs> cool. Yeah, he was just like, okay, kids, let's go out and let's go uh, hit the seaside and see how many fish we can get. So took him out there for a while, drove around, we hit about a hundred Pokestops, because there's just so many in my area. <laughs> there's like none where I'm at. There is a million in my college town. You can't, like, drive maybe a mile down the road without running into one. It's crazy. Yeah, that's kind of like how we are. From my house to, I would say maybe about a mile and a half down the road, there's at least 20 of them on the same street. It's just impossible to, you know, not hit it. So, went out, did some walking, took the kids out, had some fun, and I think, you know, it would have been kind of cool, you know, this week to talk with some people out on the streets about Pokemon, so that's what I did. I hit some Pokestops, and I talked to some random people about their experiences, and so let's uh, segment into that, and let's uh, hear what some people had to say. All right, this is Red, and here I am at a Pokestop. Which Poke? I'm, and I'm also with Erica. How you doing, Erica? Doing all right. So, which Pokestop are we at today? So, we're actually uh-huh. kind of at the juncture of a couple of them. Um, there's says it's nautical ship jacked. There's the lighthouse right there, and there's the flag post over there. Oh, okay. And for those of you listening, we're here in Portsmouth, Virginia. Yep. Because we do have listeners worldwide. <laughs> so, what do you think of the Pokemon game? I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's a great way to get people outside and to get people to actually come together to talk to each other um kind of bridge some gaps it is and it's a wonderful way because people just kind of come together because i, I see i have a family just walking up to me right now yes. <laughs> hey guys if you want to come on over we can make this a group thing yeah, sure. <laughs> all right just speak on over into the mic so what's your name andre andre good to meet you andre and yourself tatiana tatiana and who do we have here Michaela, guys, come on a little closer to the microphone here so everybody can hear you well. Okay. All right. So, uh, Erica, you're, you're talking about how you enjoy the game. How about you guys? Why do you guys like Pokemon? Um, I, li- I like Pokemon because, like, it lets you explore and just go around, and it's fun to, like, get to have bonds with new people. I think it's really great as a mom just to be able to have something encouraging us to get out a whole lot more morning and night um the kids always want to go out go for walks no matter how hot or cold i think this is something that's really great just getting a lot of people together we all talking to strangers who 
seem to all have that one common ground. It seems to not have that fear anymore of this one different from that one. It seems to bring people together now. Now I agree with you. As a father of three, you know, my kids, it's one way to get them off the Xbox, Amen. out of the house, get some exercise, and have some fun, and do something family together, and it brings people like ourselves together. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Definitely. So, I gotta ask you, what have you guys caught today? Erica? Today, let's see, today I know I've caught a tentacle, a starmie, a Eevee, just a whole plethora of stuff. <laughs> Magikarp, Nidoran, Poliwog. Um, Elkins. I gotta say, yeah, oh, they're, they're everywhere. Yet. I mean, I myself, I just got a hold of a Parasect. We got a um, Muck, Dratini, just oh, a yeah, whole wide array of different stuff. Like, with great. You guys. Yeah. <laughs> We've been running into Pikachu, so we have been excited too. We find that in the, at nighttime or, you know, Norfolk waterside area. Mm-hmm. I have yet awesome. to see a Pikachu. Yeah, same oh, here. we took pictures too. Did, yeah. We have Sat, to show like, it. My phone, my phone wasn't working when they were finding the Pikachu. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, so that's that's probably the one number one thing everybody really wants to find, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's the one thing that a lot of the um, a lot. How do I put this? A lot of the people who jumped on the fad, I'll say, want to find it because that's yeah. the flagship. But I'll, I'll say for myself and a lot of others that have probably been on it since we were really young ourselves. Mm-hmm. We're just out here to just get as many as we can, see if we can't just find as many as we can and just yeah. catch them all. All right. So last question: What level are you guys on? I'm at level fourteen right now. Fourteen. 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 Yeah. Fourteen. Nine, not better. Yeah. Working your way up there. I know. I just hit level seven. <laughs> I'm the little guy here. I was talking to a buddy today. He showed me some pictures of his level 26. Oh, nice. I know. I'm just like, oh my, look at the stuff you got. It's like, wow. It's just amazing. Speaking yeah. of which, another growl. And we find ourselves oh, sometimes wake up in the middle of the night, you turn on the app real quick, see if there's anything peeping around the yes. corner. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Either yeah. something yeah. in the house. Yeah. Trying yeah. to get your child to go for a walk around the neighborhood. At one in the morning. It's one in the morning. Come on, guys, wake up. We gotta yeah. go catch a Pokemon. I mean, you know, it's what it's else funny because um, while we were at my dad's house, uh, Andre, once he had asked dad if he could go around and walk the dog just so that he could get on the phone. Um, <laughs> that, that was probably two days after the game was released. Yes. And that's what actually started getting us all interested to see what is this that got Andre out walking the dog. <laughs> I know. When, the, when it came out, I, I got it on the second day. Mm-hmm. Then there was some kind of server problems. I lost mm-hmm. my whole my whole account. Yeah. And and there just, was a way to get it back. I just don't remember what it is, but I know there's yeah. tips and tricks online. Oh, is there? I, I will say, I, I love the game. I think when they made it, they were not at all ready for it. No. I think, yeah. I think the biggest thing, if they can just start optimizing these servers, if they can finally take care of the main server crash before they even try to implement any new features to the game, I think that's really going to help solidify the fan base that is probably growing by the hour. Yeah, it, no, it is. Yeah. It is. And they're finally out in Europe now as of uh, earlier this week. Mm-hmm. Japan's going to be yeah. releasing soon. Canada's so already on board. I just foresee Germany more server problems. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think for, you know, kind of with my little IT background, I think that they were thinking that the younger folks were going to be getting hyped up over it, but they didn't foresee all the parents that would jump on board and all the different accounts that would come, all trying to encourage but enjoy with the kids, you know, for safety reasons and for family time. Because to me, there's nothing better. And we actually had so much fun, and it's the most cheapest way to have right. a good family outing mm-hmm. is chasing down Pokemon. It is. It really yeah. is. It's been really good. It's a great summertime activity while school's out. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or even uh, once it gets back. Yeah. I mean, I go to school in Newport News. Uh-huh. And the campus uh, over at Christopher Newport, the campus is just big enough. I would not be surprised if on the, some of the warmer days I see 
hundreds of people just walking around on yes. campus just trying to find the next hottest thing that might have popped up. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Well, guys, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks. Have a good one. Thanks for Happy hunting. Yes, definitely. <laughs> All right, I am here with John and Liam. Gentlemen, how are you doing today? Great, thank you. All right, so we're out here in uh, Old Town in Portsmouth. So you guys, do you guys place the module out here? No, uh, I no. think one of the guys sitting down here placed it. It just ran out though. Oh, did he? All right, so you got to take advantage of it, right? Yeah. I know, I see those things. I have to run to it if I'm out for a walk and hit them up. You guys do the same, right? Yeah, we spot it from a distance away. Yeah. Came over here. So is this like the new, typical spot you guys always come to? This spot and down pretty much wherever there are dockings are, uh -huh. there are a lot of lures around there, so. Yeah. So you guys get a lot of fish stuff that I take. Yeah. It. Yeah. <laughs> so what kind of things have you caught today? Uh, magic carp, side duck, all along the water here, and then just some radatas, weedles along the streets as well. Oh, that's cool. So what is it about the game you guys really like? Um, well, I've always been into MMOs and this is kind of an MMO where you get to farm like in real life so I think if you've ever enjoyed an MMO you could probably easily become addicted to this game. Yes and it is addicting. Yeah. It really I mean look at all the people that are now into it. Yeah. Yep. It's gone crazy. Yeah like if they see someone that they know playing it they can get into it very easily. Yeah very easy. So how long have you guys been playing? I've been playing since I think the day after it came out, which maybe was the seventh. Yeah. yeah. For me, about a week ago. About a week ago. Yeah. So what levels you guys at? I'm at 22. 22. All right, that's pretty good. Yeah, so you're gonna spend a lot of time. Yeah, but no money yet. But that's the way I, to do it, isn't it? I mean, it's nice that you can play a game, advance in it, and really not have to spend any coin. Yeah. You know. And how about yourself? What level? Uh, I'm just level six. I hey, play that much. That's fine. I just hit level seven today, so yep. I hear you there. Okay. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I thank you guys for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. You guys have fun out there hunting Pokemon. Yep. yep. You, you too. too. <laughs> Thanks. It's your friendly neighborhood Nova here. First of all, I want to apologize for my voice. I've been feeling a little under the weather, so I may sound nasally, or you may hear remnants of what was a cough that was edited by the one and only Rusty. So this is the creator's corner where, of course, we all sit in a corner and do nothing else for five minutes. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we're going to talk about a creator. Uh, well, you and I, you know, we're going to have a virtual discussion over the sound waves. Um, and today I'm going to talk about a name that I assume everybody knows, um, Mike Mignola, who, of course, um, did and created for the world Hellboy, which I believe is what he's most well known for. Um, we've all seen the Del Toro movies, you know, Pearlman rocking it as Hellboy. But uh, Hellboy did start as a comic. Um, and Mike Mignola basically created an entire universe over at Dark Horse. It's called the Mignolaverse. Um, it includes stuff like there's a series called Baltimore, Witchfinder, BPRD, of course. Um, there's Abe Sapien, Lobster Johnson, uh, Sledgehammer 44, I believe, Hellboy, of course. 
and there's been series like Hellboy and the BPRD, stuff like that. Um, I personally love the universe. It's really cool. Uh, there's a lot of sort of mythical, magical, fantasy elements to it that just rock. Um, Hellboy itself is just a phenomenal series. If you've read it, you know how great it is. But outside of that as well, uh, the whole Mignola verse that he's written is just phenomenal. He doesn't draw all of his stuff, of course, but wish he did, but of course he can't. Either way, I mean, if you ever have a chance to, do check out BPRD especially. That's really good. Um, he's been writing Abe Sapien. I think it's in the around 50, 50 issue count right now. It's also been pretty solid so far. Um, every Lobster Johnson miniseries has just been phenomenal. And overall, Witchfinder, Baltimore, all great series. Like, really good. You can find the trades online. You could go on Comixology. It's all there. Plus, talk about Mignola. So, uh, American Born, of course, he's a uh, writer, uh, penciler as well, inker, color, all that stuff. Uh, he's probably got one of the most unique styles um, of anyone out there, really. I mean, if you if you look at his you look at his art styles, a lot of really sharp pencil work. He's not the kind of guy who, you know, there's a lot of pencilers. If you look at their pencil work, there's a lot of uh, sort of uh, marks that the inker had to sort of choose and flow with. Uh, it's not the case with Mignola. It looks like it's very straight to the point. Uh, it's really cool. He does a, like his shading work is phenomenal, and he, you can oh you can just tell it's a Mignola picture. You can just tell it's Mignola artwork. But uh, I'm gonna throw some facts at you guys in the awards he's won. Literally, 1995 he won four awards: uh, Harvey, Don Thompson, and two Eisner awards for Hellboy. Unreal, right? 96 two more awards 97 another eisner 98 yet another eisner 2000 harvey award i mean this dude has been winning literally every year from 2000 to 2011 now i'm not always eisners of course but regardless i mean he's he's killing it and it shows in his work if you check out his work whether it's you know hellboy in hell uh, hellboy in the bprd just bprd Baltimore Witchfinder, like I mentioned, it's all really good stuff. His writing's phenomenal, and his artwork, if you can ever check it out, is gorgeous. Um, there's Hellboy Library Editions, which I highly recommend. They're phenomenal. They're like the best collected edition ever. They're huge paper, gigantic. It's like 11 by 14, 12 by 14, I think. And you just get all the beautiful artwork in this oversized pages. Another cool thing, um, there's a neat little Elseworlds story that he penciled called Batman Gotham by Gaslight. You may have heard of it. It's one of the more popular ones. Um, he did a lot of other stuff. He did a, a couple Legends of the Dark Knight issues. There was a mini series he did that he wrote called The Doom That Came to Gotham. Batman The Doom That Came to Gotham. Uh, and he's done a lot of other smaller things. He's mostly obviously worked on Hellboy. Um, there's been a f dozens upon dozens upon dozens of series and one shots that he did for that. BPRD has been writing for just as long. Um, like I said, Lobster Johnson, Abe Sapien, he's cr he has a whole universe that he himself has been writing with some help on the side. But he has been sculpting this universe, and it's phenomenal. If you like horror, if you like a little mystic stuff, you like some crazy stuff, do check it out. Uh, Mike Mignola actually just, I believe, finished with Hellboy in general. I think he's done drawing Hellboy. That was his statement. I don't know about writing, but he is done drawing Hellboy with Hellboy in Hell issue number 10. So if you can find that on the stands, it might be worth something if you're into that kind of thing, just because it's the last Mignola issue. Um, 
it's a great series as well if you actually want to read the book which i recommend again um but yeah that's i mean if there's anything that corresponds with mike mignola it's hellboy and hellboy so you know personal to him of course that he actually doesn't let anyone else write hellboy so scratch what i just no someone else might draw it yeah but no one else will ever write hellboy that is that's his baby and uh rightfully so i mean it's a great character so glad we get to have that character in our world uh if you haven't checked out the movies please do they're phenomenal we need more del toro uh, i know you're a busy guy with all your stuff and listening to this podcast of course that key takes up most of your time but um yeah uh that's it that's all i've got for mike mignola the rest i can't speak for because you just need to see it and read it so go now drums please All right, everyone, this is Tap with Four Guys in a Comic, and with me today on Who's Who, I have Mr. Vito Del Sante. Vito, thank you very much for doing this. You bet. Uh, so, Vito done uh, lots of different stuff over the years, but more uh, probably more known for his creator-owned book, Stray. Uh, so, Vito, what, what character, I guess, would you like to discuss today on Who's Who? Oh, let's talk about Stray. Why not? All right, wonderful. Uh, floor's yours, sir. Feel free to let us know. Well, Stray's real name is Rodney Weller, which uh, I realize is a terrible pun. Roddy Weller, Rottweiler, was his uh, sidekick name. <laughs> and uh, he was the sidekick of a character by the name of the Doberman. The Doberman was the second in the legacy of Doberman. The first Doberman was a Golden Age um, character, superhero, who uh, established himself in the European theater of war during World War II and then in a fictional city called Kappa City in uh, Pennsylvania. So uh, the Doberman set up shop there. His son gained his abilities to heal quickly. Uh, he became the Doberman, the second Doberman in New York City. At some point, they both were, uh, two, there were two Dobermans running around the world, which uh, is a fascinating story that I can't wait to tell. Um, and... Uh, the Doberman, the second Doberman, married an Olympic swimmer, and they ended up having a boy, and his name was Rodney. And Rodney became the Rottweiler only after his mother was killed in a car accident. But we find out later on that the car accident might have had a couple of um, not-so-accidental twists and turns. Um, so, yeah, so Rodney became a, a sidekick. At some point, he was teaming up with Molly Danger throughout his uh, early careers, and it kind of got him in trouble with his father. And so his father said, you know what, let's take it to the, the team, which is Aegis, A-E-G-I-S, uh, which consists of the Titan, Sparta, Black Viper, who is actually the fifth Black Viper. So there's another legacy in there. I love legacy characters, apparently. And uh, the Theory. And the theory. And so they decided as a team that instead of chastising the boy for trying to, you know, make friends, essentially, we're going to endorse a teenage team of heroes that'll only be used for kind of uh, public outreach and community service and stuff, not for crime fighting or anything like that. But um, in Stray Volume 2, you will find out that that uh, 
doesn't always mean that they won't get trouble and they won't uh, fight crime uh, as they uh, team up for the first time. So taking uh, Stray, how does Rottweiler become Stray? Uh, he quits when he's 15 years old uh, due to an altercation with his father, um, which is, can be seen in Stray issue four, and uh, becomes kind of a homeless, jobless kind of teenage runaway, but eventually lands on his feet when he starts becoming a club promoter, a party promoter, and a de facto drug dealer. And so this takes him off the side of the angels and puts him on uh, the other side of the tracks. Um, but he's got a weird kind of healing factor that doesn't allow for him to get high. You know, like it, it almost eliminates all toxins as soon as uh, toxins reach his bloodstream. And so here he is at a party trying to enjoy himself, but he can't. And woe is me, his life is terrible. Until he finds out that the Doberman, his father, was murdered. And so that's what brings him back to capes and masks, cowls, and all sorts of costume characters. And you can read it all in Stray Volume 1. And also Action Versus, uh, the Trey Pick Rag Volume 1. You can find out more about his history in Action Verse Zero, uh, which is the first book collected in Action Verse uh, Volume 1. And more is coming if you back to the Kickstarter. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for, for coming on again and, and discussing Stray with us and giving us some more background on uh, Rodney Weller. And everyone, please, this is a fantastic book. Uh, we've had the opportunity to review it. I'm only one issue behind, but from what I've read on Volume 1, it's absolutely fantastic. So much so, I personally went ahead and pledged $15 to this Kickstarter uh, to help it out. Um, so yeah, let's, uh, let's get this thing funded. I mean, I don't think he's gonna have any issues, but let's get this thing funded. So, uh, yeah. Thank you again for coming on. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you guys. I appreciate it. With me today for who's who I have none other than Mr. Colin Bunn. Thank you so much for doing this. No, I'm, I'm glad to do it, man. Uh, so, uh, creator-owned character you've worked on, who do you got for us today? Who do you want to talk about? Um, you know what? I'm going to talk about creator-owned characters. I'll talk about this, uh, uh this guy, uh, Eddie, that, uh, appeared in, uh, a book I wrote called The Damned. Uh, and, uh, and I, I can't tell you why I really want to talk about Eddie right now, but there's reasons I want to talk about Eddie. Okay. Um, Eddie is, a Eddie is a character who lives in sort of this 1920s, 1930s, uh, Prohibition-era uh, world. Um, but the twist is that demons are running the, the mobs from behind the scenes, and they're using all the rackets to get people to sell their souls. So they're using gambling and prostitution and bad booze to, to convince people to sell their souls. Um, and Eddie uh, is this guy who's kind of caught in the middle of all of that. Now, Eddie's a, Eddie's a real rat bastard. He's not a nice guy. He does a lot of, he does a lot of bad things to people. Um, uh, and people that, that kind of get into Eddie's orbit uh, tend, to, tend to get hurt or tend to get messed up or, or some, you know, in some way. Um, but the twist, for the, the thing that makes Eddie different is that uh, he dies a lot. He gets killed frequently. He just doesn't stay dead um, because Eddie uh, Eddie has this uh, call it a gift or call it a curse. 
Eddie uh, has this thing about him that whenever he gets killed, um, the next person who touches his corpse, uh, the wound that killed Eddie will transfer to the person that touches his corpse and, and kill that person, and then Eddie uh, springs back to life. Um, when we first meet Eddie in The Dam, for instance, he's laying in an alley uh, with his throat cut wide open, uh, and uh, this guy comes and grabs him by the, you know, grabs his hands, and, and his throat just erupts as if someone's drawn a knife across it, and Eddie's eyes, you know, open back up, and he sits back up uh, in, uh, in, you know, gasping. Uh, but but uh, but alive again. So yeah, uh, that's the thing. Uh, that he's a character. I think uh, I think people could really like. He like I said, he's not a white hat. He's uh, he's definitely uh, sort of a. He's not a villain. He's not a good guy. He's just sort of a. Uh, he's just sort of a jerk that is making his way in a really in a really uh, crummy world, and uh, and I think. Uh, I think he's I think he's a pretty interesting character, not just because he dies. I mean, the other question is when he dies. Let's say he dies for a, a couple of you know a couple of hours or a couple of days. Uh, his soul goes somewhere, so there are, there's something out that he knows there's something out there uh, that that he that's kind of drawing him back into this other world after he dies. Uh, if you like characters who aren't necessarily. Uh, uh, aren't good guys but are kind of cast in the role of having to do uh, semi-heroic things. He's a, an, an, an interesting guy. Very cool. And i got to say, I wasn't very familiar with The Damned um, prior to the. I'm going to have to go back and read that now. You actually did intrigue me to go back and read that. Yeah, I, you know, I love horror and supernatural and that kind of thing. Like, that's all at my alley. So I definitely want to read that. Yeah. Uh, you know... Uh, Check it out. I think, uh, like I said, I have I have reasons. I have secret reasons that I decided to mention Eddie today, uh, but uh, they won't be secret for too much longer. I hope. Oh, okay, okay. Well, if nothing else, you got me hooked. So, right, uh, thank you very much for coming on and doing this. We greatly appreciate it. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great night, Colin. All right, everyone, it's time to close out the show with everybody's segment of the new comic book releases for July 27th, 2016. And bringing it in will be Tap. Tap, take it away, man. All right, folks, for DC Comics this week, we have Action Comics number 960. Two different covers for that one. Just like all the Rebirth titles, just assume they're all going to have two covers because that's exactly what's going on, okay? Uh, Batgirl number one. Batman Detective Comics, Volume 7, Anarchy Trade Paperback. Uh, Batman Detective Comics, Volume 8, Blood of Heroes Hardcover. Batman Rebirth, Number 1, Third Printing Variant Cover. Deathstroke, Number 20. Demon, Volume 2, The Longest Day, Trade Paperback. Detective Comics, Number 937. There's going to be two separate covers for that one. DMZ, Volume 2, Trade Paperback. Dr. Fate, number 14. Flash, number 3. Super stoked about that one. Future Quest, number 3. Green Arrow Rebirth, number 1. Third printing variant cover. Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, number 1. 
Harley Quinn number 30. Harley Quinn and the Suicide Squad Special Edition number 1. Harley Quinn Volume 1 Hot in the City Trade Paperback Book and Mask Set. So it's going to be a little bit pricier. New Suicide Squad Volume 3 Freedom Trade Paperback. New Teen Titans Volume 5 Trade Paperback. Nightwing Number 1 Red Hood and the Outlaws Rebirth Number 1. Red Thorn Number 9. Red Thorn Volume 1 Glasgow Kiss Trade Paperback. Scooby Doo Team Up Number 17. Suicide Squad, The Silver Age Omnibus Hardcover. Suiciders, Kings of Hell A, number five of six. Superman Rebirth, number one. Third printing variant cover. Teen Titans, 22. Titans, number one. Wonder Woman, number three. And that is going to wrap up DC. Rusty, what do you got for us in the world of Marvel? Okay, so I want to tell you, Tap, it's going to be a little bit heavy with a Death of X variance, and they're going to hit that event hard, it seems like, in October. But we're starting off the list with all new, all different Avengers 12. We got an Alex Ross cover, which is fantastic. Then we have that Death of X cover. We also will be seeing Amazing Spider-Man 1.6. We'll be seeing reprints of Black Panther number two in third printing. Also, we'll have a brand new Black Panther number four with three different covers, including the Death of X variant. Also, that one long-awaited issue that many people have been trying to figure out what's going to happen, Captain America Steve Rogers number three comes out with four different covers. Captain Marvel's number seven's coming out. Carnage number 10, something I've been looking forward to. Also, we will see Civil War 2 number four with Four different variant covers, and none of them just so happen to be a Death of X one. It's weird. Also, we will see Choosing Sides, number three. Drax, number nine. Extraordinary X-Men, number 12, with a Death of X variant. Guardians of the Galaxy, 3000, classic in the year. Volume one trade paperback. Also, we'll have a Haunted Mansion, number five, for all you Disney fans out there. A Howard the Duck, number nine. I know that that's coming to an end. Hyperion number five, go out and buy it. He fights carnies, okay? International Iron Man number five, Machine Man by Kirby and Ditko, the complete collection trade paperback. Also, you'll be getting Mighty Thor number nine. You will be getting Marvel Universe Ultimate Spider-Man versus the Sinister Six part one or number one. We'll have A Mockingbird number five, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur number nine, Miss Marvel number nine, lots of number nines. New Avengers, 14. Old Man Logan, number 9. Spider-Gwen, number 10. We got past the 9s. And then we will also be seeing the Star Wars Force Awakens adaptation, number 2 out of 6 with 4 different covers. Also, another number 9, Totally Awesome Hulk, number 9. Also, we'll be getting Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, number 10. We will be getting Uncanny Avengers number 11, which is something that I'm excited for with Hank Pym and Ultron and crazy stuff happening. Also, Venom Space Knight number 10. We are getting closer to the end of Flash Thompson's days. Also, for those Weird World fans, we're getting Volume 1 trade paperback of Where Lost Things Go. And we are going to be ending it today on the one I've been waiting for for a long time, X-Men 92 number 5. And that's going to wrap up Marvel for today, but... Don't worry, we still have something else, don't we, Red? 
Yeah, we do. Of course, we have Image Comics. And who can't forget Image Comics? And going down our list, first up, we have Aloha Hawaiian Dick, part four of five. And for those of you who love Aloha Hawaiian Dick, be sure to check out our podcast coming up pretty soon with writer B. Claymore. We also have Autumn Lands, number 12, Tooth and Claw. You'll also be seeing Beauty, number nine. And that is brought to us none other than Jeremy Hahn. And for those of you who like Jeremy Hahn, we have also a podcast coming out with him very soon as well. You'll also be getting Drifter number 13 with covers A and B, East to West by Jonathan Hickman, issue number 28, Empty Zone number 10. And one of my, the ones I'm waiting for is Image Plus, issue number 4 with part 4 of Here's Negan. Then we'll also be seeing Jupiter's Legacy, volume 2, number 1 of 5, second printing variant. And we'll also be getting Jupiter's Legacy Volume 2, Issue Number 2, Part 5, covers A, B, and C. We'll also be getting Mechanism Number 1. You'll be getting Outcast, uh, Issue Number 19, which I'm really looking forward to. You'll also be getting Postal Number 13, covers A and B. And those of you Postal lovers out there, don't forget we have that uh, podcast with Brian Hill, check that one out. You'll really like it. We'll have Savage Dragon, issue number 215. And for you Savage Dragon lovers out there, it's written and drawn this uh, month by Eric Larson. And if you like Eric Larson, check out our podcast with him as well. You'll also be getting She-Wolf, number one, second premium variant cover. Sons of the Devil, issue number nine. And to wrap it up, Thieve of Thieves, issue number 33. And that brings us our comic book releases for next week on July 27th, 2016. The battle may be over, but the fight will never end. Be sure to subscribe to the Four Guys in a Comic Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Podbean. Dying to hear us interrogate your favorite artist or writer? Drop us a line and share your dream interview on Facebook, keyword Four Guys in a Comic, or tweet us at the number four guys in a comic. And check out our photos on Instagram and also on our website, fourguysinacomic.com. Thanks for joining us. Stay true to yourselves.